What's that place you've always wanted to try? Well, you're there. Sharing plates with just one bite. Or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show. You got in. Over here. With a friend. And found a spot close enough to see the set list. They're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Good morning, everyone. How are you today? This is Jim, the Keys bartender. I'm not going to tell you where I'm coming from because you know where I'm coming from. And from now on, I'm going to try to, you know, only say this is Jim, the Keys bartender and podcasting from Poland or Delaware or where Fort Lauderdale, wherever I'm at from now in the future. So if I don't show any, say so anything, say anything, you can assume I'm in the Florida Keys and Key Largo. It's a beautiful day here. It's uh, around uh, 80 degrees. We have some lovely weather coming our way. Low temperatures at night for here. For here, you know, mid-70s going down to the lower 60s. While we live for, what I don't live for here, and I do understand the reasoning behind it, is the development. The development of uh, several things I've noticed recently and uh, anecdotally and my wife noticed without me uh, prompting her was that we see a lot less for sale signs up in the Keys. And uh, that could be a sign of several things. It could mean that, you know, all the people that were considering selling their properties have sold their property because there's such a short time, you know, the, I have no idea how long the average uh, listing goes on now for property in the Keys and other places in the United States. But I know it's much shorter now. I do realize that. And I hear that from uh, real estate agents. And there's a lot of uh, realtors out there. I guess they're going on about how uh, it's got to be interesting because if they... It just seems there's a lot less closings. Me as a notary, I don't see as many closings being signed as possible, you know, as, as they were before. There was a lot of them going out. So, well, no, I there's a ton of development still going on, though. It appears as if every available space has some activity on it, whether it's some surveyor surveying the land or my neighbor across the street. A little south, he had a, a land cleared next to his house, and it looks like they're developing. Well, he has everything set up for it. He has a little box out front where you put the permits so people can come along and inspect. And right now, as we speak, there's a uh, front-end loader clearing the property. And it's been that way, gosh, for two and a half years. There's a property directly behind me. That they've been working on for at least, I don't want to exaggerate, four years. Four years the property's been being built. And it looks like most of the work was being done by the people that owned the property. Which isn't unusual down here because there's a lot of 
people who are contractors and subcontractors, they have building skills down here. I myself have building skill, skills, but not, mine were more tilted to, because of the shortness of time I did carpentry, was building concrete forms. And I did a couple decks and things like that. But uh, structurally, I'm not, I'm not a carpenter, let's say, building houses and things like you know, certain things like that. Now, I see the development and I look at it and go, God damn it. Look at all this development going on. Do I understand it? Yes. If you had land and you wanted to maximize, because no one's going to be growing, you know, having an orchard down here. The only way to develop land down here is to put a house on it or sell it to someone who intends to build a house. I may be unhappy with the amount of development here. I realize it's going to mean more traffic. I mean, there's the there's not less hotel rooms, so people building homes. That means there's going to be more uh, room for more people, obviously. And we are not expanding the roads. We're not adding a lot of new businesses. Matter of fact, a lot of businesses have closed here. A lot, a couple, several restaurants. And uh, retail places. But the home building goes on quickly. Without the older properties being sold. So it makes for a more of an impetus to get those houses built. With the real estate market being the way it is. That being said, I'm just going to move on from there. So whether I like it or not. The development, the overdevelopment of Key Largo. And like I said uh, in previous episodes, Key Largo is unincorporated. So our building codes are set by the county, which we are, yes, voters in it, but we don't have whatever the percentage of you know, Key Largo may be 15% of the population of the Keys, anywhere from like 13 to 15%. So our building codes are determined by that. Now, there's no local zoning authority. We don't have a city council. We don't have a group of people that say, hey, listen, this is it. We are done with that. And why should the um, Key Largo people be concerned with that? Because it is their land. It is their money. It's what their land to do with. But as a person with a conservation mentality, it's a shame to see some of these hardwoods in these hammock areas. When I say hammock, these the hardwood hammock uh, areas being cut down. And, uh, you know, you have the local fauna, the birds, and things like that. It's just, it's just a real shame, but there's nothing you really can do about it except be frustrated about it or just forget about it. There's nothing. You can't tell somebody they can't develop a property and make a couple hundred thousand dollars. They need to make maximize their return for their investments. Could be their retirement. So it's an unreasonable expectation for me to believe that one person or a person that has several properties is not going to develop it. You'd have to be super wealthy and have it a, a small percentage of your holdings to say, hey, listen, I'm just going to hold on to this and pay the property tax and things like that. 
you know, pay the property tax on it and just hold it so we keep it in its natural state. That's an unreasonable expectation. The only uh, real source or, or authority to hold on as a conservative ship for undeveloped land is a government agency or a nonprofit. And you don't get a lot of nonprofits down here being developed to say, hey, listen, we want to preserve this land. We're just lucky to have a new park being built. We have a new park around mile marker, where is that? Around mile marker 105, if I'm correct, not correct. It's called uh, Rouse Marina. It's uh, being built on the bay side. Hope uh, it's mostly done now, so they're just doing putting the final touches on it. And I look forward to seeing what's in it. It's a how many acres could it be? Four acres, maybe five. Tiny in comparison to the large island of Key Largo, but significant considering that's the first park that's been established in years here, or one of any significant size. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be development. And you know what? People in the Keys don't seem to want much authority. I can see much authority telling them what to do with their land. What to do with their land. And it's, it's like uh, the Old West. When I moved here, and I'm going to finish with this real shortly. When I moved here about 15 years ago in the, the Keys, there was a property called Key Largo Resort. And it was in Rock Harbor, which is situated between Key Largo and Tavernier. Around mile marker, I'm going to just arbitrarily pick 93 Oceanside. Lovely, lovely area. Just south of a retirement uh, community called Silver Shores. And they've been de- developing that for about 14 years and they're still not done and they're putting private homes I guess people were taking their lots or they were giving option to build on their lots and it has taken years and it's finally 14 years later and that is a long developmental curve for years people had houses built there and they couldn't even move there because there were no roads or access or anything in there the first people that built I imagine there's probably several people that held properties that were building on it that have died in the interim before moving in. They probably, I'm sure they had an expectation that they were going to move in in three, four years. I mean, who the, who the hell does that kind of long, Americans don't do that kind of long-term planning. Three, four years sounds like, or maybe even sh- shorter, but it's been more than that. And finally, there are—they do have the streets and they have the roads in there. And there's, um, there's anywhere, there's a hundred plus houses in there, maybe, maybe not even that many, maybe eighty. Small pieces of land they're building up. They're almost all the houses are stilt construction, raised up about. I'm just going to pick it ten feet. Is that a little high? I don't know. And when you raise it 10 feet, there's a reason for that because they have an expectation for flooding. So with that and the development and all this stuff, we'll see what shakes out in the keys. Like I said, history. History is the the final authority for proving whether people's ideas were right or wrong. 
So, while I was at work this weekend, and it was a good weekend, not particularly super busy. We had our weekdays were a little busier than our weekend. And we have our uh, spring breakers here. You know, you, you have a lot of families that come in. You have some college kids. Though college kids probably would more gravitate to the mainland, to South Beach, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Daytona, uh, the you know the Sun Coast, uh, Pinellas County, Tampa areas, stuff like that, where there's more bars and clubs. Though we do get a significant amount down here, I don't see as many college kids as I normally from year to year at the restaurant because I guess you know if you think about it the hotels are enormously expensive they can't stay in it there's no way you can get some regular kids just say regular kids that stay at a week at the Hampton Inn down here in Key Largo which was normally years years ago just a year or two ago $120 a night $130 a night now they're talking $400 a night $3,000 a week and you could probably get like four people maybe into a room but that is still a significant amount of change for a college student and then you got food drink and why are you going there so you might as well go down to like Rehoboth Beach in Delaware if you're up north because of the global warming. Eventually, global warming will catch up to uh, forget about the environmental impact for the moment. But when the temperatures start rising and people start saying, hey, it's the upper 70s in Myrtle Beach now. Why, why wouldn't we just go there? Or why don't we just go to Rehoboth or Dewey Beach or the Jersey Shore? It's a little too chilly right now for the Jersey Shore right now, but who knows, in a couple years. Florida won't be the guarantee that it'll happen. But during this, during these things, I've had uh, this past, was Saturday night, I was talking to two regulars that come in. I call them friends. And she related to me, one of the, the women, related to me a story, a story, an event. Uh, she was driving on Route 1 and pretty much there was someone in a Dodge Charger that with a truck behind it and it was at a light and it was about to turn off a side street I had to assume it had to be near Caribbean Boulevard if it was in Key Largo because there's only one traffic signal on it, one street in all of Key Largo until you get down to Tavernier. And the um, light changed. The Dodge Charger did not respond for more than several seconds. They said it was just sitting there, oblivious. So the truck came out, went around, and turned the direction it wanted to go. Well, that seemed to have given the person who was driving the Dodge Charger a conniption. 
because he took off right away following the truck. And the person that was at the bar relating the story was on the road watching it, following along. And the Dodge Charger pulled up alongside the truck and put a gun out. So I imagine it would make sense because if the guy's, if the driver was doing it, he had to be coming out a left side window. So the truck had to be on the left lane and the Dodge Charger had to be in a right lane and it was pulling up behind, besides it and pulling out a gun. Now, the thing I found interesting, so that's Rachel Hall. The, the whole thing that was happening is supposedly that the people in the truck, there were three cell phones popping out of the truck filming the guy when he was doing it. Luckily, there was no shots fired. And the gun was pulled out, as I'm told by my friend at the bar, three times. And I've been combing through the Monroe County Sheriff's Office, and I didn't necessarily see the story. But I may find out on the KeysNet or the Keys paper a little more in-depth story on Wednesday, and I'll relate that to you. But that is part and parcel. They didn't... Road rage. Road rage. And, and I thought about it. I said, wow, this is horrible. This is horrible. This is crazy stuff. This is stuff you see in Miami. Every week we see stories of people you know, just sh- shooting up someone's car on the road, on the highways. Of, uh, it, it appears as if in South Florida. And I'm sure that happens in L.A., New York, and things like that. <clears throat> but I'm listening to it. I'm listening to the story, and I'm thinking at the time, that's horrible. That is really horrible. Why would someone do that? How could someone do that to another human being over a traffic disagreement or what would you call it? An operational driving thing. You you forget to do what you're doing. Someone's behind you and they decide to say, listen, I got places to go. This person's obviously not moving. And then you're going to pull the gun on them. And I'm thinking, wow, that person's crazy. Well, this week, you know, I like to try to be real and tell you everything that I can within reason that wouldn't embarrass people I love. I have that in me. I have that in me. Not enough to pull a gun on someone. <clears throat> At least, I don't know. I'm sorry about clearing my throat. But this past, was it Sunday, I lost it. I absolutely lost it on the people I love so much. Now, and there was a little shouting and things like that. And after about 15, 20 minutes of that having had occurred, it didn't go on for 15, it went on for a couple minutes, but it was pretty harsh. I, I immediately regretted what, how I reacted. I let the, it's just like I let the rage overtake me. And I thought it was people being thoughtless. And whatever argument I had, with my loved one or loved ones was lost in my reaction. Was lost in my reaction. Any legitimacy I had in a disagreement or you know, pointing out some insensitivity was 
what would you call it, crushed by my reaction. The people that I love the most, and I was able to do, I was able to lose that. And then, and it'll, ta- it'll take a while for, the, you know, I mean, I did. It did take a while for me to apologize for it. And I know this. And I've done this at work. I've done this with people. I've done it with... Uh, I, thi- I think we do it, for some of us, we do it with the people we, we are close to because we feel more comfortable. I've done it with people I've, of strangers before. But usually it's in response to some real apparent heinous action. You know, we say, I have a right to my rage. I have a right to my rage. You know what? I don't. I don't have a right to my rage. I don't have a right to express it the way at the time that I want to. I do have a right to point out when someone may be inconsiderate or their behavior is not up to standards. I do have a right to point that out, but I don't have the right to just let it go. It's almost like a tea kettle. You're just building up the pressure. You're building up the pressure. A little steam comes out. And all of a sudden, you're losing. When you're raging, that steam is just pouring out of you. And it's an appropriate metaphor for rage. I don't think there's almost any one that's better. Universally, you see the person getting hot, 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 and then it goes. How do we stop it? How do I stop it? I mean, I I talk about doing meditation. Why did this happen? I mean, we are biological forms walking through this earth, walking through life with self-knowledge, introspection. We are aware of these things. We are aware of our actions. I'm aware of my actions. I hear it afterwards. And it tortures. It, my actions torture me as well as the people closest to me. You know, selfishness, rage. But we're talking about rage right now. What's the best way? The 10, 10 second thing? Well, this is not, you know, I recall when I did this before, this is not the right way to act. This isn't the thing you want to be doing? Is this the person you see yourself as? That's all the things I say to myself afterwards when I should be saying it before. Well, Jim, this isn't the person you want to be. You don't want to be like that. You want to be the person that says, listen, I don't feel, you know, you want to be that sensitive person. Sorry, I'm unplugging something right here. You want to be that person that's considerate, thoughtful, balanced, and they make people make fun. You see it in all the movies. They make fun of people that say that don't lose their shit. And we lionize the people that get angry. In the movie Network, I forget the actor's name and I will remember the actor's name. And he is an anchor man on a network news uh, program and he just loses after one time just getting too many bad stories and something happens at the network and he just loses his shit on the air. 
Now, I've lost my shit in front of groups of people all the time, and it feels tremendous. It feels absolutely tremendous while you're doing it, while you're doing it. Afterwards, not so much. Afterwards, not so much. I'm cowed afterwards. I'm recalcitrant, apologetic. So I don't like it. I don't like doing that. I do it way more often than I want to. I don't want to do it at all. I want to be that milk toast. The person say, I want to be that person saying, you're a pussy. You never say anything. Because you know what? I don't have the ability to control it. I want to be a person that doesn't say anything. It's better. Sometimes it's better that I don't say anything. A lot of times. It would have been better if I didn't say anything at all. And just kept my mouth shut. It's like bringing a hand grenade to a wrestling match. I think that's a correct metaphor. Because I want to beat someone wrestling a little. I can wrestle so I don't go to the extremes. I'm not going to punch him. I'm not going to pull out a knife. I'm not going to shoot him. I'm not going to pull out the hand grenade, which is my rage, and destroy everything around me. And the first thing for me to do, as I did with my alcohol, is admitting it. And it's admitting to you listeners, because you know what? I do appreciate you. I appreciate you um, for being non-judgment, non-judge, non-judgmental. Like, it took me four fucking times to say non-judgmental. That's from coffee. That's from coffee and stuff. I know. I I used to say, hey, listen, why don't you send me some emails and stuff like that? I do, would appreciate it and all those things. But then I realized, wow, you're still listening after all those, all those days. All those incidents, all those uh, bitchy stories that I told. And they're still listening. You're not judging me. I appreciate that. And so I'm telling this to you so I can be, what's that thing you want to be? You want to be responsible. In order to be responsible, in order to change your behavior, you have to be aware of the things you're doing first. And now they affect the people around you. And if you care about them enough, you will make the attempt to change. And not just go and say, well, fuck it. This is the way I am. Love me or hate me. Well, I used to when I was younger. I just wanted to be loved. But I still do that thing where I lose my shit. I wanted to be loved. I wanted, I wanted to be a people pleaser. So lose my shit. I think I got to lose the people-pleasing part and mollify the rage part. And listen to that, what was that, Disney song? Ilsa, it was Elsa, Ilsa from uh, Frozen. Let it go. I just need to let it go. Let it go and be more in the middle and not be like thinking, I got to say something. If I don't say it, no one else says it. You know, maybe I I am not the one to say something. This past weekend, oh well, this past weekend someone dared me to do something that was slightly impolite. And I don't want to say it because it would have affected someone personally. And it wasn't, it was at work, it wasn't at home. 
And it wasn't obnoxious. It wasn't harassing. It was just like unlike me. Unlike me. Even though sometimes just because you're being real doesn't mean, you know, I can be real. I can be real. It doesn't mean you have to be real. My, I am not the arbiter and teacher of people right and wrong. I do it on the podcast. I don't have to do it in person. I think I let that. So that's my reveal for today. And uh, I thank you for being here, for whoever's here listening. Let me move on to something else. Cats and dogs. Someone posted on Facebook. And I didn't respond to Facebook. I love animals. I absolutely love animals. I love the animals. I love so many animals that people don't love. Uh, Monday, when the wife and I were heading up to Miami, we went to a lovely restaurant before we picked up. Uh, My daughter was at a concert in uh, Miami, so she went with a friend, and we were going up to pick her up. And uh, before then, I took the wife to a nice restaurant we saw called Fugato in Coral Gables, which is a one of the towns in Dade County, my part Miami. And it was a beautiful little fusion restaurant with a mixture of Spanish, Italian, and a, I, I, I'm going to say a, mix, a fusion of Spanish-Italian cuisine with American things put in there. I could be way off, but that's what I can tell by the menu. And it was delicious. It was delicious. The service was exceptional. We had a great time. But um, what was the point? I was talking about cats and dogs. As we were leaving, yes, as we were leaving our house, and I'm driving up, I see on the left-hand side of the road, we're all dressed up. We got an hour and 15 minutes to make it to our uh, reservation, an hour and a half. And it's uh, Google said we we were about an hour and 20 minutes out, so I, did, I couldn't really stop. But there was an iguana, and it had gotten hit, and it was laying in the road. It was crawling along. A two-foot-long iguana. People down here, if you listen to previous thing, uh, some people have this... Uh, Decent amount. It's an invasive species. And I hear that it's an invasive species. You can just... Yeah, iguanas are invasive species. They destroy gardens. They poop on your car. They uh, eat bird eggs. Yeah, and some tropical bird eggs. That's sad. But... And there's other things they do, I imagine. And they're very... They're very uh, good at procreating. Because they're all over that. In the if you're driving down the road in the late afternoon and the sun's going down, you'll see the iguanas on the, some of the places, the grassy sides of the road where there's a lot of grass and it's being maintained, let's say, by the county. You'll see iguanas, like maybe 50 of them, not all together, you know, spaced apart. Big iguanas just sitting getting the sun. And the sun as you drive down the side of the road, especially when you get down near the... Uh, Founders Park in Amarada. And, you know, I just see them as a, you know, that's my personal thing. I understand people say, oh, I just want to kill them and stuff like that. You got to be careful taking taking glee and killing another living being. You got to be really careful with that. 
It's not. It, it shouldn't be a joy extinguishing life. If you're doing it to eat or to eradicate, and you, you, there should be a, a slight tinge. You do not want to get really happy with doing that, unless it's really bad. Obviously, with mosquitoes and uh, and Burmese pythons and things like that, people are going to say, "Oh, you got to do this, and you got to get rid of like a, a bear that's attacking humans and stuff like that." But taking a glee, taking glee, and ending a life is is different than doing your job. So. People say, well, it's all right. This is what I love. And I said, well, what you love is kind of mean. And there's, you know, there is a certain psychological symptom of psychopathy where you take glee in harming little things. A lot of serial killers you'll see have had a history of torturing animals and things like that. So I'm not I'm not equating killing an invasive species with torturing an animal, but I'm talking about the feelings behind it. You just got to be mindful of it. I was being truthful to you about my rageaholism, so I'm going to tell you the truth on this. So when it comes to other more traditional animals, right? You can see how I'm I care about I care about the animals and stuff like that. Not enough to bring them all in my house. I don't want to be a crazy cat person. It's like, would you? I would love to adopt all the animals in the world that are stray, that need to be taken care of. Do I have the resources to take care of them? No. No. And when do you stop? When do you stop? And we're enabling people that are the ones that take their puppies and, you know, oh, I can't get rid of these puppies. I'll just leave it by the side of the road. Someone will come and pick it up. I mean, down here, it, I'm sure this happens all over the United States. People are finding puppies and cats alongside a road. It's better to find them alongside a road, alive, than in the road. And I have yet to find, if I saw a puppy, yes, I would have to stop. Things like that. So, I just want to express my feeling, what I feel about animals. And I believe that there's, could be... Um, all animals are deserving of some respect. Come on. Even the food we eat deserve. Have you ever seen that movie Temple Grandin? She developed the... Uh, Temple Grandin was a woman in the... I think it was the 50s and 60s into the 70s. She was an engineer. An auti- she had autism. And she developed a much more humane design and operational system for slaughtering beef. And her argument was, this is our food and we should treat it with respect. And she, that's what she said when she was developing a system for slaughtering them. And it was walking a tightrope saying, we've got to eat this, but we don't have to be cruel to it when we're doing it. Not for, I know, not for people that are against, you know, eating meat is torture and all that stuff. I understand that. But she wrote that fine line that, you know, most of us realize. Most of us are like that. They realize to say, listen, I don't have anything personal against a cow, but I do love steak. Good steak. And it's, I know it's kind of goofy. But, okay, to boil this roundabout telling this long-ass story that I'm doing, 
is there was a posting and people said, well, if a dog doesn't like a person, that person is usually a bad person. And I go, oh, hmm, that's good. Now, if you anthropomorphize animals, dogs and cats, right? And attribute human feelings to them like that. And you... Uh, I believe dogs and cats do have feelings, but they're dog feelings and cat feelings, and they're different from us. They're not exactly like our feelings because they have different experiences, the way they rise, the way, the way they are raised, the way they experience their environment around them, the way their senses, uh, the way they smell, you know, the smell, depend, the way they hear and things like that. So they develop, they probably have different types of consciousnesses. That's a hard word to say. Consciousnesses. Okay. So... We attribute these things, if they don't like a person, then a person could be bad or a jerk or something like that. Now, everyone has met a dog. Everyone has met a dog, a mean dog before, or a cat that scratched them. If you work in a shelter and you, you, you take care of all these things, you know some of them are, if, if there's good pets, there are some cats. Uh, pets that aren't so friendly and it could be for many reasons many reasons primarily from abuse and neglect from its previous owner or the people that were around it we can't expect dogs to like you know everyone and it could be a trigger for the dog just like there's trigger for people you know, they could look at someone with a mustache and beard and say, well, I was abused by uh, a, a life form that with a beard and a mustache and a big looming thing over. So I'm not really friendly with those. So I take umbrage. So cats and dogs, like people, if you're going to attribute feelings to cats and dogs, they you have to attribute the human failings to these cats and dogs too. And that they can be assholes too. They can be assholes too. Now, I'm not saying about when your dog's frustrated once he wants to go out and he starts peeing. That's bladder control issue. And they got to pee where they're going to pee. And sometimes they may pee and say, listen, you seem to really like that that uh, cell phone you're on all the time. So if, you, if that falls on the ground, I'm peeing on it. You never see them poop on anything like to show their disgust for something. But they do seem to pointedly pee places. I mean, I guess they could do that with pooping, too. Or shitting, I guess, if you want to be. And cats generally just do it in the box. They were just saying, listen, I'll scratch or bite you when I'm going to show my displeasure. I don't have to go and pee. I got oh, You do that in my box, and then I cover up because I don't want to smell it myself. So I, I did not... Uh, respond on that because I didn't want to get into a big debate. And people say, huh, Jim, I disagree with you. All dogs are good. All dogs go to heaven. Blah, 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 blah. Well, first of all, <clears throat> whether there's a heaven or not, I think they're given an opportunity. And I realize dogs don't necessarily choose their surroundings or their environment. They're not like people that say, well, a dog can't say, well, I'm going to choose to make myself more more educated so I can have a better life. You know, they don't normally have that option. If their owner is an asshole and wants to use them in a, a dog fighting ring, they're either going to be the 
you know, the aggressor or the victim. That's their choice. And they're going to be abused. And it's and the dog probably will respond to humans that way, the way it's treated. So be careful about attributing all these different feelings. Just like bears and mountain lions and things like that. Bears don't necessarily look for humans to attack. And yum. But every so often when it's hungry, you're there. You know, or a shark. Or, you know, we went to, uh, before my nephew left back to go back to Poland, several, last month we went to the alligator farm up in, uh, on the mainland. And one of the guys who was feeding it, one of the caretakers of the alligators said, you know, alligators don't want to eat humans. Uh, It's not on their menu card. But they have attacked them. And and uh, we've heard stories where children get taken. And, and generally, alligators only go after things they can swallow whole. Because their teeth aren't for chewing. They're not going to break it down. Not like a lion. They don't take a bit after a bit after a bit. You know. So we, if we're going to attribute feelings to an animal... That they're going to be, they're always going to be kind and thoughtful and sweet. Like, you know, like a human could be kind, friendly, sweet. You guys also have to attribute the thing where they can be vicious, cruel, and dangerous. Just balance, you know? Well, listen, I want to thank all of you for listening this week, uh, this week today. And I know I haven't been releasing that many. And I know I've been putting a lot of Ukraine stuff on there. But I'm going to keep on doing it. I'm talking about it now. It appears as if the Russian defense ministry is acknowledging their losses in Ukraine. The number they stated, close to 10,000, is more than the U.S. has lost total in, since 9-11. 2001 and that's almost 21 years they lost that in one week a one month okay versus 120 play that out a couple months uh, through the summer they can end up losing maybe 50,000 like a Vietnam uh, I do not rejoice over loss of human life I do not even the aggressor and I realize the Russian soldiers aren't even though they're acting as aggressors, they're acting under the direction of people that are higher ups. They don't, you like to say, hey, they don't have to do it. And a lot of them aren't. A lot of them were choosing not to do it. They abandon their posts. They retreat. They leave equipment behind. That's why there's so much equipment. You see the Ukrainians driving around. That's whole. They got equipment that they're able to either is left behind as totally workable or the Ukrainians are able to fix. And you'd add that to the equipment that uh, the allies, NATO allies and America and other uh, government entities are sending to them. It does not look good for them. Right now it's a stalemate in the Ukraine the, some In some areas of the Ukraine, they are pushing back, especially around Kiev. 
Ukrainian forces are attacking certain areas. Eventually, if Russia cannot keep on resupplying, if they don't have, their logistics are screwed up, they don't have enough food, they don't have enough weapons. They're, they're successful, they've been successful in the South to a point, but it looks as if the Ukrainians are not ready to surrender, uh, considering what they're doing in the surrounded city of Mariupol, in the Black Sea area, the uh, eventually Ukrainians may get the idea that they can regroup and attack and resupply the city. Who knows? But in the end, Russia will not, or Putin will not achieve its goals. And the only people that will be suffering right here, besides the Ukrainians, besides the Ukrainians, are the Russian soldiers, or the people that have the least amount of information. You don't see Putin's not there in the front lines. The oligarchs aren't there in the front lines. Just the soldiers. And it's a shame for them. It's a shame for them. I mean, you can only fall back on the lie too often. I wouldn't say it's a lie that, oh, I didn't know. Well, now the the Russian soldiers see that the Ukrainians do not want them there. There's tangible evidence when there's people in a bombed-out city resisting. They could surrender. They offer and surrender, even though there are reports that out of Mariupol, the people that have left are being sent directly into Russia, the Ukrainians. Eventually, uh, whether we see what happens right here, whether it, uh, the rest of the world sees it as a stalemate right now. Less than a month ago, people had the view that the Ukrainians were going to get rolled over. Now it's a stalemate. A month from now, we don't know what's going to happen. Something Russia could do something horrible with chemical weapons or even, God forbid, something more than chemical weapons, which and we know what is more than chemical weapons. That's, but I don't need to say it. <clears throat> if that does not happen, and if the progression of the swinging of the equilibrium keeps on going that direction, the Ukrainians will be on the offensive. And the tired and worn Russian soldiers will be on the receiving end. And they'll be, they're going to be behind enemy lines. If the civilians are aiding the Ukrainian forces, there's going to be um, a friendly populace aiding the Ukrainian offensive in, in less than a month. And there's a possibility, a possibility I foresee. And here I say, Jim, what do you know? So, well, hey, listen. I kind of had a feeling in the beginning, you heard me talking, to go back to my episodes, the Ukrainians weren't going to give up uh, easily. I think I did that pretty much. There's a lot of people on the other side that say shit, that said, hey, Jim, what do you know? Well, maybe a little more than you because uh, you thought the Ukrainians were going to get crushed. So remember, in war... The first thing that goes out the window is your battle plans after your first engagement. So if you have, if you want to send money, if you want to send money to uh, a Ukraine, 
you know, there's a whole lots. There's you know, there's people that are resupplying them with weapons and things like that. But I would suggest there's governments that are better suited to do that, and they get better list of what Ukrainians need to do it. But these NGOs, these non-government organizations, are good at sending medicine and food and tents and all these things. And hopefully this will be over quickly, can be over quickly. If if someone could talk some sense into Putin, which is hard, probably hard, or, you know, they can end the... uh, aggressive actions in the Ukraine some one way or another. We don't know how that's going to be. Is it going to be on the ground? It could be a lone gunman in, in Moscow. It could be a group of people, a group of oligarchs or military leaders that say, hey, listen, we're going to be losing our positions one way or another. So we might as well determine it and say, hey, listen, we realize uh, at this point that this was the wrong thing to do. So we hope that happens. We hope that happens sooner rather than later. It'd be great if it happened right now. So that's enough I have to say. And I'm, I'm once again, I apologize, but this is how I feel. I cannot not do anything. Have a great day and uh, I'll be back maybe tomorrow morning. Who knows? I may be doing another one today, but I'll release it tomorrow. Who knows? Talk to you later. Bye. Susan, I'm sorry I'm late. Traffic is terrible. It sure is. But on top of that, gas prices have been skyrocketing. I can't believe how expensive gas has gotten recently. Prices at the pump are up, but I never pay full price for gas anymore. I just use the free Upside app that pays you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get paid cash when you buy gas with the Upside app? Yes, I get real cash back every time I buy gas. And does that actually add up to anything? I've made around $200. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the free Upside app now. Download the free Upside app to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SIMPLE for an extra 25 cents per gallon cash back on your first fill-up. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, to PayPal, or any gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SIMPLE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SIMPLE for 25 cents per gallon cash back on your first fill-up. And now an update on what some analysts and reporters are calling the great resignation and the upside of it all. As many as 44% of workers are leaving their 9-to-5s behind and looking for life hacks to make up the difference in income as they pursue other jobs. And as that number grows, so have downloads of an app called Upside. It's a free app for cash back on gas, groceries, and at restaurants. Can an app like Upside really make a difference? You bet. With Upside, users can earn an average of $96 a year. And it works at all the big gas brands like Shell, BP, Valero, Philips 66, Circle K, etc. And at favorite local grocers and restaurants. Everyone's got to drive and eat, right? If you want to get in on this life hack, we have a promo code for you. Head to the App Store or Google Play and download Upside. Enter code HACK to get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first fill-up. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account to PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use code HACK.